Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Join me in the book of Psalms 48. Just take three verses of scripture. I certainly don't want to preach past the moment. But I am very hesitant to say that I feel like that I'm, I, I know I'm in the will of God. I know that. But I'm very hesitant to say that God has spoken to me. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to misrepresent that. But I do feel like the Lord has laid something on my heart. And I want to obey that. Psalm 48 and 1. Bible says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. On the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for refuge. And just for a few moments this morning, I want to speak to us about our divine purpose. Our divine purpose. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. There's something about purpose. There's not to be too tongue in cheek, but I, I really, I really appreciate things that are used for what they're intended to be used for. I understand that we can repurpose things, but there's just something about something that was made to do something, and it does that thing, and it does it well. There's just something about it. And I'm thankful for the Word of God. The Word of God was designed for a purpose. And it fulfills what it was designed to do. Primarily, what we're talking about here this morning in the book of Psalms is a very unique and, and quite intriguing book of, of the Bible. Not only is it a compilation of songs or hymns, its, it's overall essence and its theme is messianic. It's, it's prophetic. It's not that the book contains just a sprinkling of, of messianic prophecies or scattered few psalms that depict the Holy One of Israel. It's quite the composite of promises and imagery of the physical restoration of the Davidic hope. It is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to David that the Messiah would descend physically from him to rule on his throne. The book of of Psalm in its entirety is, is focused on Zion theology and that the kingdom of God would be and is established in the earth. It points towards a coming kingdom, a kingdom that would be established here, but also a kingdom in the heavens. When we read and study it from this perspective, it takes on a whole different dynamic and it it reaches dimensions that are far beyond the mere devotional literature that some 
regarded as. It is not just a portion of the Bible that we can turn to only when we're needing encouragement or wisdom. In that, it is. But it's a book that we turn to in order to know Jesus better. This doesn't diminish its devotional value, but it, it really enhances it by showing us that when we identify with its authors and with its situations, we are not just identifying with David or other human authors, but we are identifying with Jesus Christ himself. And when we identify with him, we identify with him in his suffering. But if we will identify with him according to his suffering, we can also identify with him according to his victory. And when we identify with him according to his suffering and his victory, we are then able to identify with him according to his purpose. And there is absolutely nothing like the purpose of God. Can somebody say amen? The book of Psalm is often attributed to David tra traditionally uh, in Psalm 48. It is, a, it is attributed to David as the author. And its exact date and its composition for the psalm is certainly uncertain, but we, we know that it was probably written over the course of time, over a, a period of time, and, and may have even undergone some revisions before it was included in the final compilation of the psalms. It's a it's a call to praise. It, it begins with a call. It's, it's found in, in the Psalms most often. It begins with exhortation toward God. It describes the greatness and security of Zion, emphasizing God's presence within the city. It recalls specific instances of God's deliverance and protection for his people and it calls those people to reflect on God's steadfastness, love, and his righteousness. And then it, it concludes with a de declaration of God's eternal reign and the reaffirmation of praise. It begins with praise. It is a call to praise. It's how we began this service here today. A call to praise. It's praise due to the only one. Who is worthy of that praise? The Lord, great and mighty King, emphasizing his sovereignty and reign over all the earth. It's what we've done here today. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. There is no one higher. David said that great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The word here he used for great is the word gadol. It, 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 it essentially means large or Massive and so great is the Lord physically. He is large and He is massive. And when we apply it to Him, it usually refers to His great power, His great power to save, His great power to create. And it can also apply to His great love and His great loyalty or even His wrath. But the psalm often uses it to describe God's superiority over all other. God's. Hear me now. The psalm begins with a purposeful focus on who God is and what is required to worship him. And furthermore, it specifies where that worship should occur. It connects the previous Psalm 47 with it, commanding that this praise begin in a specified place. As the Bible says, 
the city of our God and the mountain of his holiness. It focuses significantly on Zion, the site of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, which is virtually synonymous with Jerusalem itself. The city of our God refers to Jerusalem, which became the capital of Israel during David's rule in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Since the temple, the symbol of divine presence, was located in Jerusalem, the city became the center for Israel's worship. And so David begins this psalm intentionally. He, he begins it intentionally, saying that God is great and the city of God is great. God is holy and his place is holy. Psalm 48 and 2 says, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. You see, Jerusalem is described as the city of God. It's described as his holy mountain. And it says that it is the joy of the whole earth. I'm going somewhere this morning. This further emphasizes the special significance of Jerusalem as the dwelling place of God and the center of worship for his people. It's significant in A, its location. It's significant in its typography. It is significant in its water sources and in its elevation. In fact, Jerusalem's elevation varies throughout the city with the highest point being the Temple Mount, also known as Mount Moriah. So it, it literally sits higher than anything else around it. It's significant because of its walls and its gates. It was fortified with walls and gates for defense against invading armies. And the city had several of these gates, including the Jaffa Gate, the Zion Gate, and the Damascus Gate, which have its own history in in insignificance. It's important because it's geo geopolitical importance. You see, J Jerusalem served as the political and religious center of ancient Israel, and it was the site of the Temple Mount. It was where God's presence dwelt. It is considered, this is interesting, it is considered holy by three major world religions, only three. They all believe in one God, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. It is considered one of, or at least the most, holy site in the earth. And its focal point up to this moment has been wrought with conflict and controversy throughout history. Jerusalem is important. Hear me. 1 Kings 11 and 36, this is why. God said in part, David, my servant, may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. Think about that for a moment. God said, I will put my name there. Thus, all of the conflict, all of the enemy embarkment, all of the things that have been against Jerusalem, against Israel, was because he said, I will put my name there. Despite the imperfections, despite their stiff-necked mentality, despite their downfalls, despite the kings that came and went that refused to walk circumspectly before God, God still chose 
to put his name there. He still chose to put his name on them and specifically in Jerusalem. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not just the place. It's not just where it's at, but it's who's there. It's who's in the place. You see, God's presence is in Jerusalem. Psalm 48 and 3, David said, God is known for her palaces, in her palaces for a refuge. That phrase affirms God's presence within the city, highlighting his close relationship with his people and his active involvement in their lives. Furthermore, it, it marks and it denotes and it affirms Jerusalem's impenetrable fortifications because he went on to say he is known as her refuge. The psalmist describes Jerusalem's impregnable defenses, comparing its fortified walls to a well-built citadel. And this emphasizes even more the security and the protection afforded to the city of God by God's presence alone. And that mountain, that holy mountain Zion on which Jerusalem sits refers to the strength on which it sits. Jerusalem, Zion, the Temple Mount is synonymous with the city itself and it is the city of God. The idea that Zion sits on the sides of the north for theological purposes indicates that the psalmist wrote that it is the highest elevation on earth. Now we know now that it's not physically, but for theological purposes, David is reiterating again and again that this is the highest place on earth. In verse 1, the description and imagery is the city of our God. In verse 2, is the city of our great king. Identifies the great king as God himself. Further signifying that this great king is the Messiah. That he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and beside him there is no other and there will be none after him. It's depicting Zion to the far north. He, 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 he intended to put a difference between the Hebrew word for north which is Zaphon and the Canaanite seat of the gods Mount Zaphon which is north of Israel in Lebanon. In, in, intentionally, on purpose he uses this word play and affirms that God God, God himself Jehovah is the only one that should be worshipped and he is the only one that can be worshipped. He would supplant Baal and his entire entourage of Canaanite deities by physically, not just theoretically, but physically, somebody hear me, reigning over and above in the very place that they so called their kingdom. In other words, Jerusalem and Zion is a strong city that is built on a strong foundation and everything points to purpose, plan, and position. And just like Jerusalem, just like Zion, are, are synonymous with one another because I really didn't come here to give you some sort of geography class or some topography class or any other history class. I really came to talk about one thing. Jerusalem and Zion 
lion are synonymous with one another. And I'm here to tell you that both and are synonymous metaphorically, theologically, and spiritually to the church of the living God. It's synonymous with the church. It is strong and it is mighty. It is the church of the living God. Jesus said in Luke 19 and 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. His desire has always been and it always will be with relationship. And so for this cause, God robed himself in flesh and set out to reconcile mankind unto himself. God created the heavens and the earth and by his word the worlds were framed. He spoke everything into existence. When he wanted night and day, he said it and it was. When he wanted cattle and creeping things, he spoke it and it became. When he wanted oranges and bananas and birds and bees, he simply said let there be and it became what he said that it would be. He spoke it all into existence except for two things. When he wanted birds and bees, when he wanted bananas and trees, he said let there be. But when he wanted a man to tend the garden, he formed him. He didn't simply say the words, but he put action with it. He said, let us form him in our image. He formed him from the dust of the ground and breathed the end to his nostrils the breath of life. When he wanted a man, he formed him. When he wanted the birds and the bees, he said it. And when he wanted a bride, he purchased the church. He gave himself a ransom and bought it with his own life. As a husband would give himself for his own wife, Paul said in Ephesians 5 and 25 that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It goes without saying here this morning, I don't know about you, but I can speak for me. I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for the living God. I'm thankful for the church of the living God. I'm thankful this morning that the church is not a human concept. There was not a, a group of people that got together and said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to do this and we ought to do that. No, what we're doing here this morning is God's design. What we are a part of is God's design it was his thought it was his word it was his body that was broken it was his blood that purchased it from the moment that Jesus stepped onto the scene he had one thing in mind and I am convinced it was the church Ephesians 5 and 26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish and so our God is holy and so his church is holy and his church is the bride of Christ one writer called it the household of faith in order word in other words this what we're doing here today is a family we are a family we are a complete family complete with a father 
father, complete with a mother and with her children. And there is nothing like it in the earth. Can I get a witness here this morning? There is nothing like the church. There's no other place. It's not a country club. It's, 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 it's not a recreational facility. It's, it's not a secret society. It's not a closed community. It, it's not for the rich. It's not for the elite. It's not for those that, that, that have and, and, and so that those that have not can be cast away. It is a church for whosoever will. It is for the young. It is for the old. I'm going to just stay here for a minute. It's for the rich. It's for the poor. It's for the destitute. It's for the needy. It's for the ones that don't have anything. It's for those that have everything. It's for those that drive nice cars and wear nice clothes. It is for everyone. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what language you speak. This is the church of the living God and it is for you. It is a church for all. It is the church of God. It was His design. It is for all who are heavy laden and worried and stressed. This, this is a place of rest. We sang it earlier. This is a house of miracles. Do anybody believe that here this morning? This is where you can find rest for the weary, for your soul, for your body. This is a spiritual hospital. It's well equipped to triage, to treat and to facilitate new life. It is a place where justice comes into contact with grace. It is a place where injustice encounters mercy. It is a place where the broken can find restoration. It is a place where the wounded can find their healing. It is a place where old is made new and where emptiness can be filled and refilled. It's a place where the estranged can be reconciled and weakness is made perfect in strength. It is a place of protection. It is a place of refuge and I'm here to tell you this morning it is built on a firm foundation. Just like God and I'm just going to talk about the church for the next 30, 30, 45 something like that. Just like Jesus just like God would place Jerusalem above and in the face of every false god in the Old Testament, Jesus would do the same in the New as he sat with his disciples down in a seat of false god territory. Matthew chapter 16 and 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, and I don't have time to tell you what a, what a dirty place that was. It was... It was wrought with idolatry. He asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, so one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but 
there was no council. There was no men that got together and made all this stuff up that told you this. It was the, it was the Spirit. It was my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to say it again. On this rock, on this revelation, on me, on who I am, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell stand no chance to prevail against it. Hear me, it is purposefully, it is purposefully positioned and it is divinely orchestrated. And hear me this morning, I could go on about this for a long time, so you got to help me. It is the safest place to be. Oh, I got three of you. This is the safest place to be. You might as well not look anywhere else. There's no sense in going to the left or going to the right. There's nothing out there. It's in the church. Whatever you need is right here. It is right here. And this is the safest place that you can be. Don't look elsewhere. Don't don't search any further. The church is a solid rock. It is a firm foundation. It may rock here and it may rock there. But hear me. God is going to fortify the church church. He is going to keep it chaste. He is going to keep it. It's the safest place on earth. The Bible says that let God be true and every man a liar. It is the safest place on earth. So we, not, we, not, we, don't, we don't need to lift our ear to anything else. It's the safest place on earth. It is the firmest foundation on which we can stand. It will not be destroyed by foe, by famine, or philosophy. The church is here to stay until God calls it home. Hear me. It is here to stay. The government can't hinder it. Reg, reg, regulations and, 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 and directives can't stop it. The economy won't affect it. The enemy stands no chance against it. It is absolutely what the... The psalmist said, it is beautifully situated. It is beautifully situated. Psalm 48, again, great, great, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation. That's an odd phrase. Beautiful for situation. It's a phrase that emphasizes the importance of of Zion, but more importantly, it emphasizes its chosen location. Jerusalem sits on the southern spur of a plateau in the Judean mountains. I said I wasn't going to teach you about topography. This is the last thing I'll say. It includes the Mount of Olives and Mount Scopus. The whole of Jerusalem is surrounded by valleys and dry riverbeds. So quite literally, it is elevated. It is higher. One translation reads, fair and beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. And so is it any wonder that as Jesus sat his disciples down, he said unto them, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. I'm going to say it again. The church is God's choice. And the church is God's design. And he has chosen the church at large, both figuratively and literally. And he has placed it on center stage. Whether you like it or not, the church is out front. 
whether you are introverted or extroverted, I'm the introvert. The church is out front. More specifically, I want to talk to us this morning about this church. The church at large, yes, God has chosen the church. But I feel in my bones to say it again that he has chosen this church for such a time as this. And he has placed his name here. That is significant. When we think about the place in which we sit physically. Now don't get quiet on me. You've been kind of quiet up to this point. If we think about where we are physically, we're in the middle of nowhere. And that means, that I don't mean anything bad by that. I live in the middle of nowhere too, just not around here. I like living in the middle of nowhere. I like being off to myself. <laughs> Hence, I'm here. That doesn't compute. But when we think about where we sit right now, physically, there's nothing short of a miracle that we are here right now. I don't have time to go into it this afternoon, but if you will just look up the story and the history of where we are right now. If you haven't heard that, please get with somebody that can tell you that story. The revelation that came to this area, the, the, the steadfastness of one woman who did not waver off of it, the, the miraculous encounter and the intersection of lives that came that made this place what it is, we are blessed beyond measure because God has placed His name here. This place right here, the Lord went to great lengths to place this place here. And when you think of all the logistics and all the walks of life, that are represented in this place right here and right now. There is absolutely nothing short of miraculous. You think about where you came from. You think about the life that you led before you came here. We shouldn't be together, but the Spirit of the Lord has drawn us into this place. The Spirit of God has placed us together for this time. The Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in in his way. And so if I can just say this to somebody here this morning, if you're here today, you're not here by chance. You're not here by some happenstance. You're not here on some whim. But I believe that the Spirit of God is drawing. The, the Spirit of God is wooing. The Spirit of God is pulling us closer to Him. And I would admonish you, please don't turn away. And so it is too late to convince me or attempt at least to convince me that this is not absolute will of God. It's too late to attempt to convince me that the Lord doesn't have a divine purpose and a divine plan for this body of believers. Now if you want me to tell you what that is, I'm sorry, but I can't. I don't know. But I feel that God is doing something in our midst that we simply cannot explain. And He is drawing us closer and closer 
together. It's too late to convince me. It's too late to convince me that it's by coincidence. It's, it's too late to convince me that, that whoever is here under the sound of my voice or, or who may be watching from our social media streams, it's too late to convince me that God does not have a purpose for you, for your family, and for this church. He has called you for a purpose and He intends to use you in His kingdom. If our musicians will come. And so I thoroughly believe, I thoroughly believe that we are the fulfillment and certainly can be of what Peter wrote in his epistle. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Can I tell everyone in the room, you have a divine purpose that is placed upon you, and you are, we are, beautifully situated. We are, in this moment, purposefully positioned. And we are right now divinely directed to fulfill God's purpose in the earth. We are poised, and I believe wholeheartedly on the precipice for something miraculous. I don't know what that is, but I am certain that God's word will be fulfilled. He said, I will send my word, and it will accomplish that what I sent it to accomplish, and it will not return to me void. There's been too many voices. There's been too many men. There's been too many ladies that have stood here and in this congregation that said, God is going to do great things. I just want to be a part of it. How about you? Do you want to be a part of it here this morning? There are marvelous edifices that are strung throughout this earth. Certainly many beautiful to see, the eyes to see. But nothing, hear me, nothing exceeds the beauty of the church. Not only does God fulfill His promise, He fulfills His promise to the nations through the church. It fulfills the absolute picture that the psalmist paints. But it fulfills the prophetic as well. You see, the church is the visual expectation here and now of what heaven will be then. But it is not heaven that makes heaven heaven. It's the who. It's the who that makes heaven heaven. Likewise, it isn't necessarily the church that makes the church the church. It's the who that's in it that makes the church the church. It is God's holy heel. And it is God's holy church. And when he sat this place at the center of this, at the center of this community, at the center of this state and world, if you will, I believe that he set something in place that is absolutely unstoppable. 
The church of the living God. This church is Satan's worst nightmare. And it is this world's greatest hope. It is literal life and death. And so I'm not suggesting that there was ever a time for the people of God to not have their eyes on the world. But I think this day, if there were ever one, it's this day. The people of God to get their eyes off of the circumstances. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard to walk through sometimes. I know that there are things vying for your attention and pulling at every side. But I'm here to tell you that we have a divine purpose. The stark reality of it is, is that if we will not look to the church, then what does the world have to look forward and toward? Hear me now. The world is looking toward the church. They might not know it. They might not completely understand it. But they are looking toward the church. Here's why. They're looking around and all they see is disarray. All they see is discord. All they see is division. All they see is politics. All they see is sin and debauchery and the things that are trying to be pushed down their throat. They're looking around the world and all they can discern is delusion and confusion. And the only other place to look is up. They're looking around and they see the the political aspects of this world and the the tearing apart of our nation. And they're choose to they're they're made to choose a side to say, what should I go? Should I go left or should I go right? And they're confused. They're 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 looking around at all these things that are that are that are promoted in the media that 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 say this is the way you ought to live and something just doesn't feel right within them and so they're looking around to see where should I turn the only other place to look is up and I'm here to say we must be the church so that when they look we are where we are supposed to be. So the only question that remains is you stand here this afternoon with me. This is not an indictment. This is not, this is not, please, if, you, if you've got this from the, you have, missed, you have missed my spirit. I'm not talking at anyone. I'm talking to us. Because I am, as Paul said, chief sinner. I'm the chief that needs to, to work on this introvert. The only question remains is, when they look, will the church be where it's supposed to be? Will it be the holy hill that God has called it to be? Will it be the city of refuge that they so desperately need? Will we rise to meet the expectation of the God who called it? Will we rise to minister to the needs that so many desperately want? Or will we settle into the obscurity 
of the fray and frailty of the world around us. <laughs> I know I've gathered with some here today that you've got something rising up in your spirit right now. Said, no, I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to back down. I may have some things going on in my life. Everything might not be perfect, but I'm going to rise. I'm going to rise. I'm going to place myself not holier than thou, not, not to look down on others, but I want to be in the place that God wants me to be when they begin to look toward their answer. David said, I look to the hills from which cometh my help. And so when will the church rise? I say we rise right now. I say we rise today. I say we rise to the challenge, no matter how bad those challenges may be. I say we rise to the call no matter how hard that call may be to answer no matter how faint it may sound to hear I say we rise and I say we take what our pastor under the anointing of the Holy Ghost preached a service or two ago and take that spiritual dominion that spiritual authority in that spiritual jurisdiction that God has already given us to rise to the divine elevation that God has called us to be, knowing that this is God's church and that he that began the work will complete the work and he that will be with us unto the ends of the world, amen, being beautifully situated, divinely orchestrated, and absolutely divinely purposeful in everything we do in Jesus' name. Can somebody lift up their hands right now and lift up their voice? You can stay where you are or you can come around this altar here this afternoon. This choice is yours. But I, I, I implore you today, make the choice to rise. Make the choice to rise to the occasion. Make the choice. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386 935 2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.